Okay, so poor Father Ron has a raspy, hoarse voice today, so you got stuck with me doing both the reading and the homily. And this homily is one of the most famous passages of all Scripture. If you watch sports at all in the 70s or 1980s, you most inevitably saw the famous guy with the rainbow wig. It was a big Afro wig with the rainbow color, which is actually the sign of the covenant now. It's been since hijacked, but that's another point. The rainbow wig was this man who would show up at almost every big game, be it an NFL playoff game or the World Series or the Super Bowl. And he always held this sign that said John 3.16. And I remember watching it some sports events with my father when I was very young and seeing that sign, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that the world or whoever believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life one of the most powerful passages. But before we discuss that, our Lord says something about the serpent in the desert. Why are they connected? Why does this come first? All right. The bronze serpent in the desert is very important. Now, those who criticize Catholics for having graven images need to read this passage because there's no law against having a graven image. Oh, Father, that's right in Deuteronomy. It's right in Exodus. What are you talking about? No, the law doesn't say you can't have a graven image. If it does, as you've heard me say before, throw away those pictures of your family. Those are graven images. Throw away the painting on your wall. That's a graven image. The purpose that our Lord makes in the law is you cannot have the graven image for the purpose of bowing down and worshiping that image like the golden calf. Otherwise, why would the Lord command it that angels be carved for the Ark of the Covenant or a bronze serpent be carved in the desert by Moses for people to gaze upon to be healed? This is interesting. It was not a graven image for the purpose of worship. The rabbis of the Judaism explain this, quote, it was not the serpent that gave life. They believed in the one who had commanded Moses to act and make the serpent. It was God who healed them. So the Jews knew this wasn't a violation of their own commandment. The power was not in the serpent. You all remember the story? People were getting sick in the desert. So Moses complained to God that my people are getting sick, your people. And he said, well, carve this serpent, raise it up on a pole, and if they look upon it, they'll be healed. It seems really odd, doesn't it? But not really. Because the power was not in the serpent, it was only a symbol to turn the thoughts to the one who did heal, God. It's like the divine mercy image. It's not the canvas or the brush stroke, Jesus says, where his grace is found, but the, we have the image to venerate of who it represents, Jesus. All right. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says the Son of Man must be lifted up? Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And remember, believes just doesn't mean that you think God exists. Even the demons believe in God. 
To believe in the Jewish tradition means you not only know it, but you love it and you live it. That's the difference. Now, what did Jesus mean by the Son of Man must be lifted up? All right. Jesus links this expression with Moses, who, as I said, lifted up this bronze serpent to heal from the serpent bites, the snake bites. Why were the people getting sick? They were getting bit. Now, this death was the result of people being bit by sin. This is what Jesus was trying to teach them. Now, why a bronze serpent? This is very interesting. The serpent was bronze because bronze was the metal associated with judgment in the Bible. Very interesting, because bronze is made with fire, and fire purifies. This is why in my purgatory talk online, I get all these people, where's purgatory in the Bible? Where's purgatory in the Bible? Well, like Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The idea or the meaning is same with purgatory. Now, what happened? A serpent is wrapped around a pole. You know, this is the ancient figure of healing and medicine to the Jews. Any of you have blue cross and blue shield? If you have blue cross and blue shield, you see a vertical pole and a snake wrapped around it. And if you look, it's kind of at a 45 degree angle. There's actually, it's a cross. And that snake is on that cross beam horizontally. This is healing. The own, their own symbol, please, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, don't change that symbol because that is the ancient meaning of healing and it ties to Christ. It's a cross. And so you have that serpent and that's what that meaning is. In fact, it's not just Blue Cross and Blue Shield. It's medical. It's medicine. It's, I think, for the general standpoint, um, many hospitals use it. Many uh, medical associations use it. Not just Blue Cross, Blue Shield. It's a symbol. Now, the serpent lays horizontally on this vertical pole like a cross. For the Israelites, the only way to be cured of the snake bite was to look at the snake, to look at it, to overcome it, to master over it. And the only way to free us from the result of sin now is to look at that cross. But now it's Jesus on it, not the serpent, it's Jesus. If Jesus had refused the cross, there would be no glory. It's the same for us. Basically, we have a choice. We can, if we want, choose the easy way. But if we do, we lose the glory. You know, I want to read you from Diary Passage 153. It is something very, very, very powerful. <clears throat> St. Faustina says in Diary Passage 153, One day I saw two roads. One was broad, covered with sand and flowers, full of joy, music, and all sorts of pleasures. People walked along it, dancing and enjoying themselves. They reached the end without realizing it. And at the end of the road, there was a horrible precipice that is the abyss of hell. 
The souls fell blindly into it as they walked, so they fell. And their number was so great that it was impossible to count them. And I saw the other road, or rather a path, for it was narrow and strewn with thorns and rocks. And the people who walked along it had tears in their eyes, and all kinds of suffering befell them. Some fell down upon the rocks, but stood up immediately and went on. At the end of the road, there was a magnificent garden filled with all sorts of happiness. And all these souls entered there. At that very instant, they completely forgot all their sufferings. You know, yesterday I went up to Brookshire Medical Center to visit a friend who's again in the hospital for an infection. And I asked if I could share this story with you. His name is Chris. And um, he struggled. He's, he's, a, he's a blessed soul that has been given a big share of the cross. And I, I always try to tell him that how much God loves him by giving him more and more of the cross. The more and more of the cross you have and you are given means the closer you are to Christ. I know it seems like a paradox, but our Lord is a Lord of the paradox. The first will be last, the rich will be poor. Um, the, the, those who give up their life will live. So I try to explain to Chris that I know, and it's easy for me to say, because Chris has spinal bifida and cannot walk unassisted and has many in, uh, infections in, in his bladder and whatnot, and so he, we pray for him. Well, anyway, he was telling me a story yesterday that just floored me, and, and Chris, I know you're watching today, and thank you for letting me share this because you're such an inspiration. Um, Chris shared with me the story a few years ago that, and I'm not a medical person, so I, I really apologize to you nurses and doctors out there. I'm, I'm probably gonna get my facts wrong, but I'm gonna try the best I can to recall this. Uh, Chris was rushed into the hospital with some problems breathing, and they quick did an X-ray, and they couldn't even see his heart. And what happened was he went back up to his room, the, med or the hospital room, and all of a sudden the doctor came flying in, in a panic. They didn't even have time to wheel him to the operating room. His lung had collapsed and was putting such pressure on his heart that the heart could give away at any moment. He was within seconds of dying. And the doctor right there in his bed, there in the hospital room, quickly injected just a little local anesthesia and began to cut a hole in his side, right there in the bed, not even in the operating room. And they had to insert a tube into his side to be able to, and again, I, I apologize if I get this wrong, but I think to get the air from the collapsed lung out, again, I don't know all the details, but Chris said when they cut his side open and slid the tube into his side, 
He absolutely had a vivid vision of Christ being speared on the side, in the side on the cross. And he was there. He was with Christ being speared in his side. Chris didn't even realize what he was telling me. He was trying to recount to me how tough it's been for him. And I'm sitting there in utter amazement, just realizing how much God loves him because he's sharing so much in the cross of Christ. I know it seems so hard to believe that. You know, Paul tells us that I must complete what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Our sufferings. And so when we unite those sufferings to the cross of Christ, it's redemptive. And here is Chris shearing, literally being pierced in the side by a spear. I'm blown away that that God, in his own way, has a shear in that way, yet we don't always understand it. And that's why Faustina, in that passage I just read, says that it's rocky, it's full of thorns, we fall down, but if we get up, at the end is paradise. That's the resurrection. But there is no cross, or there is no resurrection without the cross. St. Faustina said to, to Jesus in 1484 of the diary that, Lord, I don't ask you, you take me down from the cross, I just ask you, give me the strength to stay upon it. That's fascinating. So why did Jesus die on the cross? You've heard me say this. I'm not going to go into the detail. But because the penalty for sin is death. When you sin or I sin, somebody has to, we deserve to die. But Jesus paid that price. In the Easter vigil, we read, to ransom a slave, God gave his son. That's what John 3.16 is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His death on the cross was both a total offering to God meaning the son offering the sacrifice to the father, and a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. Now, here's an interesting point. Notice that John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. It doesn't say he loved the Jews or he loved only Christians. It loved the world. And this is what the Mass is, universal. The Mass is that one offering sacrifice, Jesus, and the one being offered, Jesus. God offering God to God. When we lift up the chalice and the patent, it is the priest is in the person of Christ. Christ is being offered to the Father. It's God, Jesus, offering himself, God to God the Father through the power of God the Holy Spirit. It's God offering God to God. This is the mercy of God the Father in the Old Testament. So many people think that God of the Old Testament is mean, he's an ogre, it's only in the New Testament that we get the nice Jesus. (laughs) No, this shows you the mercy of God. We wouldn't have Jesus without the Father who sent his only begotten Son. This is the mercy of God. It's mercy not just in the New Testament with a nice Jesus, but it's God the Father in the Old Testament saying, I'm sending my Son. Yes, this is a New Testament reading, but God said this in the garden, Genesis 3.15, probably the most other famous passage in all of the Bible. So it was this God of the Old Testament who sent this Jesus in the first place. 
True love is manifested in the cost and sacrifice of the giver. So true lovers hold nothing back, but they give the best that they can offer to their beloved. This is why contraception, the church is taught, is not good because you're holding back. Yeah, I love you, but I don't love you enough to have another one like you in the world. This is what the church teaches. God proved his love for every one of us by giving us the best he had to offer, his son. We too are to give God our best. That's why in the Bible it talks all about first fruits. Give him the most perfect lamb. Give him the very first day, uh, your hour of the day in prayer. This is what it is all about. We are to give God the best because he gave us his best. This is why people criticize Catholic churches for being beautiful. Well, boy, you critics, you're hypocritical. You could have given that money to the poor. Instead, you built a beautiful church. Wait a minute, that's Judas. When they were going to uh, put the most precious oil and anoint Jesus, remember? Remember, Mary was going to anoint Jesus, and Judas is like, what's going on here? Why are we wasting the good oil? We could sell that and give it to the poor. That's Judas. Instead, yes, the poor will always be with us. But Jesus says, I first must come. And so we give God our first. That's why our churches are beautiful. Nothing is to be held back from God. Then we take care of the poor. He loved us. He loved and gave us his only begotten son to the world when it still was not loving him. This is the true sign of love, loving those who persecute us, not just those who love us. Loving those who do not love us. This was never before seen before the Gospels. And so finally, Jesus then says he didn't come to judge. But what's strange is later in John 9, 39, Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world. So again, non-Christians criticize the Bible. It's contradiction. Jesus said, I did not come to judge here in this passage today, but later in John 9, he says, for judgment, I came into the world. How do we explain it? I want to finish with this. If when we are confronted with Jesus, we respond, we are on our way to salvation. But if we aren't moved, don't care, that's why Jesus warned of the lukewarm sinner, and doesn't want to change, we stand condemned by our own choice. Not by God, by our own choice. His reaction, meaning the person, you or me, has condemned ourselves or not. God sent Jesus in love, and he sent him for our salvation. But that which was sent in love could also be rejected. It's like receiving the Eucharist unworthily. You receive it worthily in a state of grace, it leads to salvation. Paul tells us, eat it unworthily, it's your condemnation. It's not God judging you, it's you judging you. That's the point. That's why one gospel passage, it says one thing and another, another. It is not God who is condemned. God only loves us. It is us who condemns ourselves. So let us see the power and the beauty 
that doesn't come from a condemning God, but a God of mercy, both in the Old and the New Testament. And this God of mercy loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16, one of the greatest passages in the Bible. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.